Hey, welcome you guys to our, this is, uh, we do this annually, once a year, we do what we call a Vineyard Vision Weekend, where we look in the rearview mirror and take a little look at what's gone on kind of in the last year or so, and then we look out the windshield, uh, to use a car analogy, and, uh, and take a look at where God is inviting us to go. This year, the Vineyard Church has been around for 32 years. That's kind of a little while, isn't it? It's a, it's a good, healthy community, and I'm so thankful. There's actually several of the folks who were involved way back at the beginning of the Vineyard Church when it started in a front yard just down Arrowhead Road, about a quarter of a mile or so, and there's still folks that are around in our community and participating with us. Like I feel a, a real special gratitude uh, towards those folks and what they were, the, it, the vision that they had for a community of disciples of Jesus where pretty much anybody is welcome and that they would they themselves would actually feel comfortable so today I'm going to spend a lot more time looking out the front windshield than in the rearview mirror because I don't know about you guys but the past couple years have felt incredibly difficult uh, for many of us to be completely honest right the 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 very various effects of COVID the isolation that we felt many of us myself included have lost loved ones uh, over the past couple years, the difficult decisions that we've had to make as families, as parents, as, as just humans on the planet with uh, many times not enough helpful information. Um, all the, I just reflect on all the various tensions that we've experienced over the past couple years, uh, racially and politically and ideologically. And, and honestly, all the ways that we've experienced broken relationships have been really hard. The friendships that maybe we thought were stronger, the people that we've had in our life that because we don't see things exactly the same way, maybe they've cut us off in relationship. I was looking, I was, I was actually doing some reflecting as I was writing on this and I got to that and I felt a little bit of emotion as I was writing this week. And so I just paused and pulled back from my computer and, and just thought, I, I want to experience this for a moment. Like, do you guys ever do that when you begin to run into like an emotion that you would generally push aside? Did you ever just like lean into it for a moment? It's a good thing to do actually and invite the Holy Spirit into that and to meet you in some of those sometimes difficult emotions. And there are a couple people that I thought, I wonder what they're up to, you know, and that uh, I looked up on Twitter and found out I'd been blocked. And I'm like, oh, sweet. I did something that got me blocked. That's amazing. I'm, a, uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of a guy that in, enjoys confrontation and conflict. It's my love language. And uh, don't tell Brenda, but it's my, you know, and, um, and, and so like stuff like that comes up and I, I, I begin to feel a little bit sad, but then I also feel like, I wonder what's going on. I, I want to reach out and have more conversations about it. But regardless, it's been a hard couple of years, right? And so I'm not going to spend a lot of time. You guys didn't react to that right away. Has it? Maybe you've, maybe you've really enjoyed it. You're an extreme introvert, and this has been a blast. There's one person, I think, that raised their hand for that. But regardless, I don't feel like God's invited us to throw in the towel to... You know, to admit defeat or to give up the fight. And I also don't think God's inviting us as a community to just do the same things that we've done before with more passion. I don't think that's what he's inviting us to do either. I love learning, to be really honest, I love learning for best practices. But best practices are things that worked yesterday, not necessarily things that will work tomorrow. 
And I love living in today and seeing what God wants to do uh, tomorrow. And so we call this our Vineyard Vision Talk. I want to focus on what we as leaders think God's inviting us toward in the next few years. Uh, As many of you know, I made a decision to return to pastoring this church full-time. Some are celebrating, some are in mourning. But I made a decision to return here full-time and gave up my halftime role that I had with Vineyard USA over the past decade. And my incredibly sweet wife, uh, Brenda, has become a full-time employee of Vineyard USA. She's uh, overseeing three regions of churches, which is about 150, 160 pastors. I call her the bishop now. So... (laughs) That's that's my lovingly. That's what I refer to her as. Her her official title is super regional leader, to which you could add duper uh, to that because I think it's I think it's absolutely true. Um, But I am so excited. Uh, to kind of return here full-time leading this community. And I'm so glad that our leadership here has invited me to give all my energy to that. So I want to talk about where we're headed with all of this. Now, honestly, some of us might think, Michael, why are we talking about this in the midst of global conflict that's kind of brewing in the world today? Like, why in the midst of, uh, of what we're actually experiencing in our world are we talking about this? And I would say to you, I'm so glad you had the courage to ask that question. <laughs> the stuff that I want to talk about today is exactly the kind of stuff you need to talk about and focus on Uh, if you want to make it through the anxiety that we're currently experiencing. It's definitely the kinds of stuff you need to focus on if some of our worst fears come to pass. It's absolutely the kind of stuff that we need to focus on because I don't think there's anything more important on our planet than the things I want to talk about today. So, let me start. Why are we the church? What are we doing here? Like, what's really being the church all about? You know, from a biblical point of view, the church is a community of God that participates in the mission of God. That's like what the church is. You're going to feel like you're in a, maybe a beginning seminary class for just a couple seconds, right? It's a community of God that participates in what God's doing in the world today. That's the story of the scriptures from the very first chapters where we see why the world is the way it is today to the very last chapters where God promises to make everything new, to restore everything. And chapter by chapter by chapter throughout the Bible, we see how God is bringing a people to himself for the sake of the entire world. God promises and then he makes good on his promises. One person at a time. One family at a time. Like one one community at a time. And then we see his enduring faithfulness to make good on his promises. No matter how unfaithful the humans are. Again and again and again and again and again. That's what we see in the scriptures. We see his loving kindness most perfectly in the New Testament, in the face of Jesus. In Jesus Christ, we see the grace and truth, two like polar opposites. God's grace and his truth embodied perfectly. And through Jesus, we're invited into what I would call an Emmanuel life, a God with us life. Not just with the first century, not just with Israel, but with anyone who will submit themselves to him. And so what are we doing as a church? 
Honestly, I think Jesus gave us our mission and he made it pretty clear. The end of Matthew 28. Then Jesus came to them. This is after the resurrection and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. That means he's completely in charge. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely, I'm going to be with you to the very end of the age. We are a community of disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus. That's like what our mission is. That's what we're doing here. And a disciple is like a student, an apprentice, a person who has decided to be with Jesus, to become capable of doing what Jesus did, to someone who imitates their teacher in really every area of life. A disciple is a person who's constantly arranging and rearranging their life to learn from Jesus how to live his life in our current life. And there's a constant rearranging in the midst of that that we're doing. Here's a line for you. It's not in your notes. God's intention for each of us is that he could empower you to do what you really want to do. Think about that again. God's intention for you, his plan for you, is to empower you to do what you really want to do. What he's made you to do. And I didn't say that wrong. Not what he wants you to do but what you want to do. He's given you gifts and abilities and he wants to grow you to the point where he doesn't have to worry about what you would do if he gave you power. He wants to grow you and mature you and I to the point that the the test of our character is what we do when we have power. And in our world, we say that power corrupts. No, it only shows what's really there. What if God could so transform your life that he could empower you to do what you want to do? Psalm 1 is a picture of that kind of person. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. It turns out actually throughout the scriptures, a tree is a perfect visual metaphor for what it means to be a healthy follower of Jesus. So I love that picture in Psalm 1. That's the picture that God's inviting us into. So... How do we make disciples? Well, back to Jesus' statement in Matthew 28, we make disciples by actually inviting people into community with us. It's not just by taking a class. It's not just by reading and learning and praying. Jesus tells us to baptize these new disciples to immerse them in a Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Trinitarian reality, Trinitarian community. Think about this for a second. Biblically, in the book of Acts and elsewhere, it's very clear that to be baptized means to be incorporated into a worshiping Trinitarian Father, Son, Holy Spirit community. A community with accountability, a a community with vulnerability, a community with clear boundaries. Baptism, what we're celebrating next week, is a welcoming into the community of Christ. When you look at the early church, you see this, Acts 2. Those who accepted Peter's message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their community on that day. That's what it means to be baptized. 
There's this cool story that comes from, I'll share a few of these as we go through. Cool story in our church that comes from a second grader who was expressing why it's important to be baptized. This is a second grader. It's important to get baptized if you're a Christian because it will show whether people, you are going to be a forever follower of Jesus. You don't need to get baptized, but I think it's an important event in life, or important life event. It's a symbol to other people that you are forever friends with Jesus. When they dunk you in, it should feel like God is submerging you in clean water and washing away your sins. I love that. Even the act of baptism. This, this young woman like, knows the act of baptism itself contains a story. It's a, it's a narrative that's absolutely vital to our understanding of our relationship with God. We are entering into the bigger story of God and the way he brings freedom and deliverance and healing to our lives. Baptism signifies a spiritual exodus. It's, it's, it's actually it's a picture of our deliverance from Satan's kingdom and entrance into God's kingdom. And it's absolutely vital because you can't actually be a follower of Jesus apart from community. Now I know this goes against everything we worship in America that's not Jesus. We honestly think we don't need one another to follow Jesus. That's like built into our DNA in our country. And the biblical picture is totally different. That you actually can't be a follower of Jesus without one another in community. For those who say they don't like the organized church, they're just acknowledging the painful reality that relationships are difficult. They are. But it's in those difficult relationships that we actually learn how to follow Jesus together. We don't learn that just independently. If I might continue with that kind of tree idea, single trees don't do well alone. Right? They're like... They're predisposed to like release seeds for new growth and plant trees all around themselves every single year. And so all of our relationships can be difficult and require work. But it's in the middle of that work that God refines our character. He slowly matures if we will allow him to keep us in relationship with one another. And if you accept the challenge to become a disciple maker here at the vineyard, you will be hurt and disappointed along the way. I guarantee it. The same hurt and disappointment I experienced this week as I reflected on that is completely normal. I'll talk about more of that in just a second. And then disciples are those who are learning to obey everything Jesus told us to do. Learning to, not just learning what Jesus said, but actually learning to put it into practice. So Jesus didn't waffle on this point. If you want to know whether or not he said something and it was true, he said the way you figured that out is you try it out. John 8, to the Jews who had believed him. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. When will you know it and it will set you free? If you hold to it. If you actually put it into practice. That's what he's talking about there. In fact, Jesus went as far as to link our obedience to our love of God. John 14. If you love me, keep my commandments. John 14, 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. Verse 23. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Like, 
There's family language there. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Jesus is saying, here's what God told me to say to you. Jesus is saying that. Here's what God told me to say to you. I'm teaching you some stuff. Put it into practice. If you don't, you don't love me and you don't love God. Like, man, he just links those things right up. I don't know about you. Does anybody else find that confrontive? Do you guys ever read the Gospels? Dude, there's intense stuff in there about loving your enemy, about turning the other cheek, about serving others. It's like, there's intense stuff in there. And he says, if you don't do this, it's because you don't love me. Man, here's an interesting thought. If you're struggling with God's love, if you're struggling with the fact that God loves you, could it be, I'm just pushing this out there, could it be that you're ignoring some of what he said to do? Because you might not be feeling his love if you're just going, you know what, God, keep your opinions to yourself. I'm going to do life my own way. Dude, you're not going to feel loved by God. That's what Jesus is saying in these passages. All right, that's kind of what we're doing. I could talk about that for the next three or four days. Let me go into why we're doing it. So the first thing, what we're doing, kind of describes our mission a little bit. Why we're doing it describes some of our shared values. The things that we value lie just under the surface of what we can see. Your values determine in your family or in an organization, determine your culture, determine your ethos, you know, in in your group of friends. You can't necessarily see your values, but you can see and experience the results of your values. Just like Like you can't see all the components that make up a sound system in this room so that we could hear the music or you can hear my voice. But you get the result of that sound system. You can't see all the amplifiers and speakers. Our values are like that. You can't really see them all, but you feel them all the time. So our number one value here at the Vineyard is relationship. All ministry, everything that we do with one another flows from relationship. First of all, relationship with God. Second of all, relationship with one another. That's why we have on t-shirts and coffee mugs this little thing that says, love God, love people, period. Somebody said once, Michael, do you realize that says love God, period, love people, period, period, period? I go, yeah, we, we planned it that way. The guy was a friend of mine. He was a drummer. I'm a drummer. We communicate on the same almost musical language, right? That was a music joke. It didn't go over very good at all. Listen, God describes himself as Trinitarian in relationship. At the heart of the biblical story, God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, is inviting us into community, into relationship with himself. And then he's laying down his very life so we can have relationship with him. And then he invites us to do the exact same thing for one another. So the church is not a collection of individuals. It's not a large crowd. Following Jesus happens in the context of relationship, not in isolation. There are, in the past year, about 2,000 people who would say Duluth Vineyard is where they attend in their church. Some of them attend in person, some of them attend online, some of them just send in checks from other parts of the country. I think they must be attending online, right? And so we have people that like are involved like in all sorts of different ways in our community. Relationships take root, not just in attending a large group thing, but in the soil of intimacy and accountability and commitment. 
Our relationships with one another aren't like to be used or exploited. They're not like a means to an end. Our relationships with one another are the end. That's the thing that God's inviting us into is relating to one another and growing and encouraging and challenging one another. The church in the New Testament throughout is talked about as a family, not as an institution. God invites us into family. And then he adopts us as sons and daughters with all the privileges and inheritance in, in, in the ancient world that the firstborn son would receive. This is so incredibly important. I'm going to camp out for just a second on here. Relationships are such a high value to us that we will consistently and we will consciously do whatever is necessary to create environments conducive to the growth and functioning of healthy relationships here at the Vineyard. We offer all sorts of different training programs like emotionally focused and, and uh, gospel of wholeness and, like, and our small groups to really help maintain this. We will work together to maintain mutual respect and open communication and really determined cooperation, like believing and speaking the best about one another. We're not going to use manipulation or hype or deception to motivate people to participate in what's going on around here. And we will function in integrity. We will speak well of each other, speak the truth, deal honestly and work at living uprightly in every area of our lives. We want to exercise servant leadership in one another's lives. Authority with humility, right? Selflessness, grace, care for one another, sincere desire to build one another up. We want to help families grow strong, enabling us to be spiritually and emotionally mature and loving and serving. And our children, <laughs> our children are this amazing gift from God that they don't get like second place. They get like first place amongst us like as, we, as we champion them and we nurture them. And here's the deal. We want to focus on putting into the soil of our community the nutrients that are necessary for building really good, healthy relationships. And these nutrients are things like joy, according to the latest neuroscience, joy, relational attachment, uh, group identity, and healthy correction. We want to put that stuff into our community. I could talk about those four things for a really long time. Let me focus on one of them with an ancient Hebrew word, hesed, that actually means to be relationally attached. It's such a difficult word to translate into English or even into Greek that the Apostle Paul actually took a very little known Greek word, little used Greek word, agape, and tried to fill it with all the meaning of hesed in 1 Corinthians 13. He tried to show what this thing is that God's inviting us into. You see the word in Lamentations 3, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Steadfast love, that's the Hebrew word hesed. And throughout the Old Testament is translated as that, or great love, or loyal kindness, or loving kindness, or mercies, or faithful love. It, it signifies this enduring connection that brings life and all good things into a relationship. It's the kind and loyal care for the well-being of others. And the New Testament uses the word agape to say the same thing. First Peter, love one another deeply from the heart. Again, Peter, love all 
Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Paul uses the same thing. Ephesians 5, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us. Look at the way Paul puts that in the context of family. This idea is absolutely vital for discipleship. It's essential to forming our character. One of the things that's interested me over the last couple years is watching how followers of Jesus, even leaders from various churches, kind of got swept up into weird conspiracies or kind of just weird things that caused them to break relationship with one another that is so contrary to the way of Christ. And as I began to kind of lean into that, and we began as leaders, not just in our church, but in various churches around the country to press into that, one of the things that we've linked it back to is this lack of hesed, this lack of deep relational attachment in so many of our churches. The latest neuroscience confirms our brains draw life from our strongest relational attachments. We actually become whom we love. We become whom we love. Which is why Jesus says all that about obedience to him linked with love. Like if we want to become more like Christ, we actually give ourselves to loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving our neighbor. You can't separate those. And so much of what has really hurt us in terms of church communities in America today is the way that we have separated those. Attachment, it turns out, is the strongest force in the brain. In a community that's high in this loving kindness, this hesed attachment. We've often thought that transformation comes through solid biblical teaching and then trying really hard to obey and then some power of the Holy Spirit sprinkled in and then our lives get transformed. And what is missing is the deep connection with one another. We need models in our lives for what that looks like. Here's a sixth grader story. Sixth grader started new school this fall, had a hard time making friends, a vibrant, outgoing, funny personality turned to sadness, became withdrawn and happy, even mentioned ending her life. Lots of questions about God. Doubting God was even real. Her parents brought her to the middle school group here. It was awkward the first couple times. Quickly, this group of sixth to eighth graders developed a supportive and a positive bond. They started group video chats and texts. This mom writes, my husband and I have read and listened in on them. Good job, parents. I'm amazed at how kind and supported they are of each other. Once they took tunes in the video chat saying what they liked about each other, it was exactly what my daughter needed. I've seen her entirely shift back to happy, vibrant, fun girl that she is. Thank you. Thank you, God, for working through these kids to help my daughter. I'm forever grateful. Another student in that same group just wrote this. It's nice. I finally have friends. See, relationship to Jesus, actually, like, we need that to grow in our relationship with him. And so the Vineyard Church, we're going to place an extremely high value on hesed, on relationships, on healthy relational attachments that help, our, help us form our character. There's a few other values. Embracing attention of the kingdom of God. 
Like embracing the tension of the kingdom. Very simply put, the kingdom of God is what things would be like if Jesus ran everything and his will was done everywhere. The kingdom of God is what it's like when Jesus himself is in charge. When we pray, Lord, let your kingdom come on earth just like it is in heaven, what we're saying is, Lord, what would it be like if your will was done right here in this situation? That's what we want. When we say the kingdom of God has come, we're saying that God has had his way. And what we see in the scripture is the kingdom of God is always here, almost here, it's delayed, and it's in the future, right? So cultivating deep friendships with people, inviting God's kingdom, joining him on mission, extending the love of God to other people. We value the tensions of the kingdom. We value experiencing and being responsive to the Holy Spirit. God is not somebody we just read about in a dry, dusty textbook. God is actually somebody we can experience in our real everyday lives. And the Holy Spirit can lead us moment by moment by moment. And then we, ex- we value living lives of embodied worship and compassion. Embodied worship means that we're, where's it at? we're worshiping God in our human bodies, not just in our heads. That's why the Psalms regularly speak of lifting your hands in worship or bowing down in worship or falling on your knees in worship or serving one another in worship. Last week I was helping pray for folks who were coming through our food shelf at Fruit of the Vine and one of the guys who was there serving, also a worship leader here at the vineyard, we were getting near the end of the day and we were kind of both tired. My toes were like, I couldn't feel any of my toes because I was standing outside the whole morning praying for people and we got back inside and uh, you know, kind of packing things up and he just said he said and he regularly leads worship up here and this is what he said he goes man that was worship exactly that's what it looks like it looks like actually doing this stuff so we want to embody worship and we don't want to just feel compassion towards people we want to embody it in what we're doing and the ways that we're responding the ways that we're reacting to people so strategy is just basically how are we doing it How do we do that? In one sense, our strategy is actually not real complicated. We want to engage in relational connections where God can do his deep and slow work of transforming every area of our lives. We want to create space for that. Throughout the New Testament, we see the people of God encounter God's love made evident in the resurrected Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit in community with other followers of Christ. And then we see that slow work of formation, of reformation, of transformation, this evidence of discipleship in this healthy community. And so Paul writes things like uh, Romans 12, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. And then be transformed by the renewing of your mind as you give yourself to that kind of worship. He says the same kind of thing in uh, Ephesians chapter 4. He says that leadership has been given to the church to equip God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we'll no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and the cunning and craftiness of people with deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, 
will grow up in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament that's you and I, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Everything that you see happening around the vineyard is part of a strategy to help us experience that kind of transformation, to help us grow to maturity in Christ, and to provide opportunity for you to add your own unique perspective and abilities to a healthy, functioning body of Christ in the Twin Ports. We want to be a church that actually loves God and loves people, and we can't do it without all of us doing it. And we all bring something different as we do that. And so there are expressions in both large groups and small groups that are absolutely necessary to our healthy environment. Our small group leaders over the past couple years have been absolutely amazing. I want to say thank you, small group leaders. If you're a small group leader in the room, can you just raise your hand? If you're here and you're a small group leader, just raise your hand. Put it way up there, right there. Just say thank you. I really appreciate you guys, like stepping up and helping to lead us. You guys have been so resilient over the past couple years. You've like, you you know, your leadership, your commitment to leadership has been a glue that's actually helped hold our community and our coffee mugs together, (laughs) right? As you've prayed for, as you've encouraged, as you've challenged so many people in our community. Like, thank you for doing that. And another way that we do that is we really focus, not just in large and small group, we focus on intergenerational connectivity. We want to be intergenerationally, I think I just made that word up, connected in pretty much every ministry area. It's so necessary because people who have just begun a walk with Jesus needs to see what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus later in life. People who are just getting married following Jesus needs to see what it looks like to be like an empty nester following Jesus. We need to see what it looks like to lose your dad to COVID and still keep following Jesus. We need to see what it looks like in our lives. A little bit further ahead, I could go through so many different kinds of family situations, but we really need that. And we need those in our lives, those of us that are getting up there in age, we need those that are younger. Like your excitement, your, your desire to actually try again to solve problems that have been tried to be solved over and over and over again, Like, you don't just need our cynicism about those problems are unsolvable. Because some of them you're going to solve. And the Holy Spirit's going to empower you to do some really cool things. We need to be intergenerationally connected in community with one another. And then we want to continually challenge one another towards spiritual and emotional maturity. You know, here's one of the deals. You can't grow spiritually more mature than you are emotionally mature. It just doesn't work. In the same way that you can't say, I love God, but I hate my brothers. John says that's impossible. You can't actually grow to maturity unless you're growing your whole life to maturity. And I know this is a real shocker, but it's possible to go through your whole life and be an emotional infant. It's really possible. I've met a lot of us. Right? In fact, if you're not intentional about that kind of work, you most assuredly will grow older. You can't stop that part <laughs> while um, remaining emotionally and spiritually an infant. Here's somebody that wrote about a course that we do here called Emotionally Focused. 
He says, it's been life-changing for me in so many ways. The most significant being my relationship with God. I did not believe he could love an imperfect person such as me. Good news, he loves all of us. And we're all imperfect. I could never do enough or get it right. This allowed me to process relationships and situations I didn't even realize were an issue. There's always more room for growth. But then she lists out areas that have changed. Meeting God in every facet of my life throughout the day. Feeling loved by him changed how I showed up with other people. Sharing my faith. She said, I I now do a daily devotion with multiple people texting our thoughts. And one treasure is that my mom... Uh, is my mom, as we did not have this relationship before that. Reconnecting with a friend through a transformational conversation has been the best friendship that I could ask for. And now having the confidence that I could be a coach and help others. Two years ago, I would never have dreamed of that. Still out of my comfort zone, but I love it. It's amazing. When God begins to grow you spiritually and emotionally, you find out you actually have something to give. You get to join with what God's doing in the world. It's amazing. It is so much fun. And so part of our strategy is continually offering those kinds of opportunities. And then not just here with one another, we want to extend that compassion. I keep looking to the wrong banner. We want to extend that compassion to like people everywhere that God would have us extend that. So... uh, Here's a note that we got back. We, we type out our, our sermons and send them out to folks who are incarcerated uh, every single week. Here's a note that we got back. Recently, I received a birthday card from your group. I want you to know it was the only birthday card I got. It came at a perfect time. I was feeling the most alone I'd ever felt and started wondering why God even left me on this earth. But then I received a card from someone who called me a friend and asked how they could pray for me. Do you know what a blessing that was? I want to say thank you to each one of you who spends your time, energy, and prayers on this. You make a difference. Or somebody who was working with our food shelf this past year. It's such a privilege to connect with individuals who have reached out for a request for food delivery from our food shelf. During this pandemic year, I have brought groceries to and prayed with so many different people. An elderly single woman, isolated and homebound due to COVID, who just lost her sister. A young man who had wandered the country homeless and with various chemical addictions, who met Jesus and was so hungry now to read and learn of him, full of hope and joy. Folks with physical disabilities, folks with mental illnesses, and folks in comfortable neighborhoods barely scraping by, and folks in the sparest of living conditions challenging neighbor and challenging neighborhoods, they were all overflowing with gratitude. I love the way that God fills us with his life, transforms us in community, and then allows us to express who he is to the rest of the Twin Ports. So then, when are we successful? Really quick. I have an illustration I carry around in my mind for how we know when we're actually, this is actually working. And believe it or not, it's another picture of a tree. And it's talking about the fruit on the tree. What does a disciple of Jesus look like? I don't have time to unpack these things. What does it look like? Here's how I think about it. It's somebody who is uh, experiencing God, consistently, intentionally engaging with God in such a way that you open yourself up to a deeper understanding of him and relationship with him. It's spiritual responsiveness, actively listening to the Holy Spirit and taking action according to what you're hearing. It's experiencing personal transformation, changing your attitude and your behavior as a 
direct result of your engagement with God and with others. It's engaging with people authentically in ways that reflect the heart of God towards them. It's faithfully stewarding all the resources that God has given so that you can contribute to what God's doing in your community. It's sacrificial service. It's doing good works even when it's costly, inconvenient, and challenging. And it's disciple-making. All of us are meant to be making disciples, helping those who are just a couple steps behind us. And then it's transforming the whole community. It's involvement with others to facilitate positive change where you live and beyond. Like, that's what a disciple of Jesus looks like. When we see those things happening in people's lives, then we know we're hitting the target. Like, that's what the church is meant to be doing. That's who we are. And that's what everything is geared towards. So what will this look like? Last question. 32 years ago, I felt like God gave me a really unique way to think about this. I had previously, many of you have heard this story, made a living as an artist. I'd been doing that for a number of years, about 20 years. And uh, God was inviting Brenda and I to move up here about 25 years ago to become pastors. I asked God if I'll ever be an artist again. And I felt like he said, oh, Michael which is how he often talks to me. Oh, Michael, you will always be an artist, but for a while I'm going to change your medium. Your new medium is people, and I want you to paint a portrait of Jesus in the greater Twin Ports. Like, that together we are actually a portrait of Jesus. Listen, our discipleship to Jesus is meant to transform every single part of our lives so that corporately, not only individually, corporately, we're like a really cool picture of who he is in this wider community. And each of us bring different things to that. Like, I'm way more artistically uh, oriented than lots of folks that I meet. And so I'm always going to be bringing things that have to do with art and beauty. The dancers that are coming here are coming because I invited them. I saw this incredible, cool show that they're doing down in the cities this weekend. And I go, would you ever guys ever want to come to Duluth and do that? Because it's like they're professional dancers and they're dancing the Psalms. I'm like, that would be amazing. If I'm the only one sitting there, I'm going to be happy. I don't care if you all come or not. Like, this is going to be an amazing thing. And by the way, you and your children and your family and anybody that you know that's in a dance studio is invited to come because it's actually that good and we'll clear off the whole stage. I'm going to constantly be bringing things like that. You're going to be bringing what you do and who you are in ways that actually bring God's transformation to our community in really unique and cool ways. Does that make sense to you? Like that's who God has invited us to be. I love this quote that I'll end with from Dallas Willard. The greatest issue facing the world today with all his heartbreaking needs is whether those who, by profession or culture, are identified as Christian will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of human existence. The goal of this church is that we reach out into every corner of human existence throughout the Twin Ports and bring the power and the presence of the resurrected Christ. That's like our goal. So, I spent a lot more time looking out the windshield than in the rearview mirror. God's done some really cool things. There's a whole bunch of stats. You'd celebrate. It'd be fun. Let's move on ahead. Why don't you guys stand up? And if you're a numbers person and you love stats, just corner me later. I got like a whole Google Doc full of them. 
multiple pages. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace and your presence here today. Thank you for the way that even in the midst of anxiety and turmoil going on all over the world, actually, there's multiple wars going on in the world today. Thank you for the way that you continue to call us to submit our lives to you and engage with you and follow you right where we live, making a difference not only in our families, not only in our own living rooms, but in living rooms kind of all around the Twin Ports. And then God, we just say, we're willing to be used anywhere in the world. Thank you for our partners around the world who are bringing your presence and your peace in so many areas where your compassion is desperately needed. And so, Father, for us in this room, online, right now, today, I ask that you would reignite us, that you would reorient us towards transformation in our lives and towards being effective parts of community. We're not meant to be spectators. We're not meant to just watch and not engage. We are created to engage with one another deeply and to bring that transforming, your transforming presence to the world. And so I think for ministry time, I think God just wants us to offer ourselves today and say, Lord, I'm yours. Everything I own is yours. My resources are yours. My life is yours. My relationships belong to you. Anyway, I've tried to use all those things just to meet my needs and haven't trusted you to meet my needs. Lord, I just repent. I want to turn to you right now. So if you're in the ministry team, make your way up here, please. Online, you could click on the prayer button. These guys are going to lead us in worship for a little bit. I think there's some stuff that God actually wants to do in us. For some of us, we've kind of adopted, like, I'm going to stay safe, I'm going to stay out of relationship, I'm going to keep my distance because I don't want to get hurt. And we're not actually following the way of Jesus anymore, who put himself right in the path of getting hurt so that we could have relationship. And that distancing, that pulling away, that self-protectiveness actually keeps the presence of God away from you as well. I think there's something that God wants to break through in that. And so I would just go back to Paul's words to offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, which is your spiritual act of worship. It's spiritually, it's spiritual worship to offer your body as a sacrifice. And he goes, then you'll know what God's will is. Then you'll be transformed. It's that whole obedience thing again. And so we just want to make time to like engage in that. I'm sure as I've highlighted through some of this stuff, there's things that God's dialed up in you that you cheered about internally or stuff that you kind of pulled back from. Take time to lean into the things that you were pulling back from. I think God actually wants to do something in that. And then, of course, we'll pray for anything going on in your life. 
any anxiety that you're experiencing or physical pain or just emotional turmoil, financial hardship. We'll pray for anything going on in your life today. So we got some folks to pray for you online, in person. These guys will lead us in worship. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming to the vineyard today. Have a great rest of your weekend.